Hello and welcome to Random Interesting Facts, the podcast about everything and nothing, with your host, 42. This week's topic is hair. So, let's dive right in with fact number one. Your hair can smell things. Yes, believe it or not, your hair can detect odours. It's like having thousands of little noses attached to your head, and you don't even need to have been born near Chernobyl. Each one of your hair follicles contains olfactory receptors, which are proteins that bind with any odour molecules they may encounter in the air. These are exactly the same as the ones found in our nasal passages, but it doesn't mean you have to wipe your head with a handkerchief every time you sneeze. (laughs) On the other hand, it does mean you should probably wash your hair. Otherwise, you will have other people's farts bound to your luscious locks. (laughs) You're probably wondering why your hair needs to be able to smell things. And believe it or not, these receptors actually send signals to your brain, even though you're not consciously aware of it, to let you know if something smells mouth-watering enough for you to take a bite of it, or dodgy enough so you should avoid it. But olfactory receptors aren't just found in your nose and on your hair. They're all over the place. They're in your gut and your heart, for example. You can even find them in sperm cells. And it's thought that this is how our little swimmers track down eggs. There's one scent, however, that gets your hair going like a cat in heat, and that's sandalwood. Which means your hair has some pretty discerning taste, because sandalwood is one of the most expensive woods in the world. In fact, your hair is so attracted to sandalwood, it has an unexpected side effect. The scent can activate receptors that encourage hair growth. This is because of one specific olfactory receptor called OR284, which personally I think would be a great number plate for a bald bloke to have. But there's good news for bank balances of bald people, because it only works with synthetic sandalwood. Specifically, a man-made product called Sandalore, which sounds a bit like a side character from Lord of the Rings. But wizard Sandalore can actually be found in many cleaning products, perfumes, and other cosmetics. Next up, moments from history. Where we dive into one particularly obscure moment from history. And this week we're covering US President Andrew Jackson, who had a foul-mouthed parrot which swore so profusely it had to be removed from his funeral by force. Oh, shit. Andrew Jackson served as the seventh president of the United States from 1829 to 1837. Before this, however, he served as a major general in the US Army, and he's probably best well known as a national war hero. His most celebrated victory was during the War with Britain of 1812, when he resoundingly defeated the British in the Battle of New Orleans. The British suffered 2,000 casualties to America's 60. 
His troops lovingly gave him the nickname Old Hickory due to him being, quote-unquote, as tough as an old hickory wood on the battlefield. Ah, nothing makes a man prouder than being equated to a piece of wood. But Andrew Jackson was definitely a tough one. During his time as a prisoner of war, he refused to shine a British officer's boots. And the officer slashed his face and hand, scarring him for life. Never mind Hickory, I'd say he was more of a walnut. He also couldn't resist a good duel, and he was involved in at least a dozen of them in his time. You know, people really don't duel enough these days. I'd love to see more arguments over parking spaces be settled by way of duel at sundown. But then I guess if you do really want to see two people shooting each other in the face in a parking lot, you only need to visit any Walmart on Black Friday. In 1806, Andrew Jackson fought a duel over a horse racing bet against the best shot in Tennessee, Charles Dickinson. Jackson won, but he was shot in the chest and the bullet could never be removed, causing him lifelong pain. Then in 1828, he was inaugurated as president. And that wouldn't be the last time that a White House staffer would get to see a piece of wood in the Oval Office. Not if Bill Clinton had anything to do with it, that is. But sadly, two months before his inauguration, on the 22nd of December, 1828, his wife, Rachel, died of a heart attack. Jackson blamed it on the stress caused by the nasty election campaign. After her death, Jackson was lumbered with Rachel's pet parrot, Poll, an African grey, which he'd bought for her before she died. I bet he regretted that purchase. He had no choice but to care for it afterwards. Parrots, of course, are known for their ability to mimic any sounds they hear, including things as diverse as phones ringing or babies crying. Two of the most annoying sounds in the universe. And well, Jackson was clearly a bit of a no-nonsense man, so he had a tendency to use some very strong language around the house. Around the house. I should, the White House, that is. Makes it sound like any old terrorist house, that doesn't it? All I can say is it's a damn good job he didn't give the Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven fucking years ago. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. He also kept some pretty unpresidential company. In fact, he was the first president to invite the public to attend the inauguration ball at the White House. Unfortunately, it all got a bit rowdy. The crowd was so large that furniture and dishes were broken, and Jackson subsequently earned another nickname, King Mob. But despite abusing Paul the Parrot's innocent ears with his potty mouth, Jackson proved to be a very popular leader. He supported individual liberty and soon became known as the People's President. He was very much a people's person. Well, I say people's person, 
Only if you were the right people, that is. Because he was also instrumental in the forced migration of Native Americans after signing the Indian Removal Act, which removed them from their ancestral homelands. This was later known as the Cherokee Trail of Tears, in which approximately 60,000 Cherokee Indians were relocated, with around 4,000 of them dying of starvation, exposure, and illness. Weirdly, despite his best attempts at genocide, Jackson also adopted two Native American orphans, Theodore and Lincoya. It's as though he thought people would forgive him all his injustices if he just adopted some of them. He was basically doing the equivalent of saying, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. Jackson's temperament certainly didn't mellow with his age. In January of 1835, an assassin fired a pistol point-blank at Jackson, but it misfired. So, Jackson, who was 67 at the time, beat the man to a pulp with his walking stick. After completing two terms as president, Jackson retired to Tennessee to live in the Hermitage, which was basically a mini White House. Unfortunately, however, the two bullets which were lodged in Jackson's chest had been slowly poisoning him over his life, and he eventually died. On the 8th of June, 1845, at the age of 78, he was buried in his garden next to Rachel. The funeral was held at his house, the Hermitage, with a large group of politicians, generals, and slaves there to pay their respects. Although I think the slaves had probably just come to double-check he was actually dead, since during his life he owned a whopping 150 of them before his inauguration. But little did the guests know it, they were about to be treated to the very finest in parrot profanity. As the crowd was gathering, the parrot grew so excited that it started swearing so loudly and for so long that it had to be carried away from the house. To be fair, we can all get a bit sweary when excited in a busy place. You should hear my language at Disneyland. According to the reverend, the guests were quote-unquote, horrified and awed at the bird's lack of reverence. Oh, shit! Oh, shit! What's a sinful bloody parrot? <coughs> so in the end, the parrot had to be forcibly ejected from the house after steadfastly refusing to show some respect. Personally, I like to imagine several burly bouncers holding him back by the wings and throwing him out into the gutter. Now we'll take a short break whilst you absorb all that information, and we'll be back shortly with another fact. Fact number two. A full head of hair 
can hold the weight of two elephants. Just one tiny strand of your hair is capable of holding 100 grams, or three ounces in weight. In other words, a single hair could hold a dozen pennies before it's liable to break. But if you've got so much loose change that you're tying it into your hair, it's probably time to invest in a wallet. And that means that an entire head's worth of hair can hold around 12 tons, which is the equivalent of two elephants. Although I would recommend removing the hair from your head before balancing elephants on it. This is because human hair has incredible tensile strength. The amount of pressure something like rope or wire can withstand before snapping. We measure pressure in pascals, which is the amount of mass something can take per square meter of material. One million pascals equals one megapascal, and a human hair can take the force of up to 200 megapascals. That's 20 million kilograms of force per square meter of hair. That means that a single strand of hair is about half as strong as a piece of steel of the same size. Gosh, can you imagine how impractical steel hair would be? You'd get whiplash every time you walked past a magnet. Anyway, whilst hair isn't quite as strong as steel, it's easily as strong as aluminium or Kevlar. And that's pretty impressive, since Kevlar is a synthetic fibre used in bulletproof vests. Which means that your scalp is technically bulletproof. No, no, it's not. No, seriously, please don't quote me on that. Or try any experiments. It won't go well. If your finger was made out of human hair, then you could carry a shopping bag weighing two and a half million pounds with one finger. That's a lot of cheese. It also means, weirdly, that you could give yourself brain damage if you attempted to pick your nose. <laughs> Hair is made from a very tough protein called keratin, which is also found on the outer layer of your skin, and it's found in non-human things like animal claws and horses' hooves. And it's keratin that gives our hair its unbelievable tensile strength. But there are things that can weaken your hair's tensile strength, like not getting enough vitamins or protein in your diet, or spending too much time in the sun. It's also important to get a haircut every couple of months, as your hair's length can also affect its strength. I mean, you probably have more pressing reasons to get your hair cut, you know, like looking fetching and fine, rather than ensuring your hair has good strength. Unless you do like to carry stuff around with your hair, each to his own. Take the fictional Princess Rapunzel. It's estimated that her fictional hair could have held a fictional 2,750 kilograms, or 45 fictional men. Yes, Rapunzel famously did get around a bit, didn't she? If you're somehow not familiar with the classic fairy tale, Rapunzel is trapped high in a tower when a stereotypically dashing prince comes along to save her. He shouts up to her with the famous line, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. So obviously, she flings her incredibly long locks out of the window. The prince climbs up 
and busts her out of the tower, and they live happily ever after. I presume they retired to a nice quaint cottage, where the dashing prince spent the remainder of his days pouring drain on blocker down the shower. It seems a bit odd that she made the prince risk his life by climbing up her hair and presumably fighting off a few guards and such to get her out. Surely, if her hair was strong enough for a person to climb down, and she's probably smaller than the prince, it probably would have been easier for her to just tie her hair to a bedpost and abseil out the window, all by herself. <sighs> seems a bit selfish to me, anyway. Now, even though Rapunzel's hair seems strong enough on paper, in reality, there's a few issues with someone ascending up your hair. As previously discussed, the length of your hair weakens it, and Rapunzel's hair was long. Imagine the proteins in your hair as millions of tiny connected springs, and the more springs in that chain, the easier it is for it to break. Now, the problem for our spunky prince is that follicles aren't as strong as hair and can easily be yanked out. That's the point where the hair leaves your scalp. In other words, Rapunzel's hair might have easily taken his weight, but her scalp certainly wouldn't have and would have ended up stinging quite a bit. And you know, the prince probably wouldn't have found her half as attractive if her scalp came flying down the tower after he'd given it a good tug. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. Right, thanks, love. Uh, oh, shit, I've, I've torn her scalp out. Think I'll go. She could also have tried to make a rope out of her hair. It was easily strong and flexible enough, talking like it actually happened. This was successfully demonstrated, actually, on the TV show Mythbusters. The prince should have also have taken care to pick a nice fine day to make the climb, as proteins can be affected by temperature and ambient humidity. So if you are going to hang two elephants from your scalp, it's best not to do it after a hot shower. Also, hair grows really slowly. It's about 15 centimeters a year, which means that if she was imprisoned in a 10 meter tall tower, then it would have taken 66.6 years for Rapunzel's hair to reach the bottom, and it's unlikely a 20-something prince would be interested in her charms at that point. Also, after about four years, a strand of hair reaches the end of its life and departs from our heads. In total, we lose around 50 hairs each day. So Rapunzel would have been a world record holder. The current record for the longest hair on a female is held by Zi Kuiping from China. His locks come in at just over 5.6 meters. Fact number three. In 1698, Peter the Great of Russia introduced a beard tax. He'll be rolling in his grave now, he should have waited until hipsters came about. He'd be absolutely raking it in. Before Peter came to power, Russia wasn't very well connected to the rest of Europe, mainly due to its lack of a decent navy. Russia, of course, was huge and shared a lot of land borders with pretty much everywhere, but at the time it was seriously lagging behind other world powers when it came to ships. 
England, on the other hand, and the Dutch were happily exploring the globe, laying claim to any pieces of land that happened to take their fancy. And so, between March the 9th, 1697, and August the 25th, 1698, Peter went on a grand diplomatic mission all around Europe to strengthen Russia's alliance with other countries. It was known as the Grand Embassy. Everything's grand or great in Russia, isn't it? This was a clandestine mission and Peter didn't want to risk being recognised, so he travelled under a secret identity. He was known as Sergeant Pyotr Mikhailov. Thanks to this disguise, he was able to blend in and learn all about Europe firsthand. In an effort to learn about shipbuilding innovations, he even went undercover as a shipyard worker and spent four months at a shipyard for the Dutch East India Company. Following that, he came to the UK and worked in the Royal Navy's dockyard at Deptford. You can imagine the shift manager doing a roll call, can't you? Right, we've got Steve, Kevin, Mike, Peter the Great, here. And he went even further in his disguise, Peter continued to blend in and research by visiting places such as factories, arsenals, schools, and museums. He even attended one session of Parliament. And as soon as he got back home, he took all he learnt and began taking steps to modernise Russia. And now, if you've listened to one of my previous podcasts, his first move was not to start importing Pepsi. And he was very successful about it. Well, he was Peter the Great. He made huge changes to the economy, government, culture, military, religious affairs, which all ultimately enabled Russia to expand and become the world power that it is today. But what good is it being a swanky new nation when you still have to deal with your citizens dipping their facial hair in their bowl of soup when they eat? So high up on Peter's modernization checklist was to get all Russians to go beardless, just like all the modern Europeans he'd recently met. He announced this decision rather theatrically, not long after he returned to Russia. A reception was held in his honour, attended by many important dignitaries. The atmosphere changed very suddenly, however, when Peter produced a massive razor and started to shave the beards of all his shocked and no doubt a little pissed off guests. Following this, he publicly declared that all men in Russia had to remove their beards. Needless to say, this wasn't a particularly popular decision, especially with priests of the Russian Orthodox Church. According to them, a smooth, clean-shaven face was blasphemous. But I'm sure Jesus got his Gillette out occasionally. Eventually, it occurred to Peter that he could kill two birds with one stone, by getting men to go beardless and making a little money for the state. And that's when the beard tax came into being. Russian police were given the power to forcibly and publicly shave any facial hair rebels who refused to pay the tax. The amount of beard tax was dependent on the person who had said beard. If you were involved with the imperial court, the military or the government, then you had to pay 60 rubles a year. 
Merchants and townsfolk were also charged 60 rubles per year, but if you were a particularly wealthy merchant, you were charged 100 rubles a year. Natives of Moscow, otherwise known as Muscovites, were charged 30 rubles annually. Even poor bearded peasants were forced to pay the tax, being charged two half kopecks every time they entered a town or city. Once you paid your tax, you were required, by law, to carry a beard token, a coin-like object with a Russian eagle on one side, a nose, mouth, whiskers, and beard on the other. The tokens were inscribed with two phrases, the tax has been taken, and the beard is a superfluous burden. The tax was eventually abolished in 1772. And Russians rejoiced as they were finally free to grow big manly beards, take off their shirts, and go wrestle a bear in the forest. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, please leave a review. Let me know your thoughts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a future episode. If you would like your random interesting fact to be read out at the end of the show, then please tweet it along with hashtag RiffPodcast. That's hashtag R-I-F podcast. And it could very well feature in a future episode. Thank you. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.